I went through some things personally that I just felt I needed to take a step back from music mm-hmm. for a moment just to collect my thoughts and get a clear vision for what I wanted the project, my next project to be. And I think that oftentimes as artists, we forget that we need to retreat sometimes within sure. ourselves because we're always we're always pouring out, we're always pouring our emotions out, and we're always giving so much, not to pat ourselves on the back or anything mm-hmm. like that, but that's what the exchange is. You know, we we tell, we create art based on personal life experiences, and sometimes we have to relive trauma, and sometimes we have to relive moments that maybe we're darker or even happy, just like uh, there's a huge exchange of energy. Um, and I think that oftentimes we forget to just take a break and spend time with ourselves so that we have a clear vision of what we want to do or even what we want to say. So I took time to get to know myself again after touring and doing everything possible. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was basically in a nutshell what my hiatus was about, just caring for myself so that I could continue to do my job. Built into this sort of the album release schedule, there's always a little bit of a break there. Mm-hmm. But you felt like you needed something more substantial? I did. I needed to travel. Um, mm, I travel needed, for not work. Yeah, not for work. I just needed to experience you know, um, other cultures and just kind of like I said, get to know myself. Because when I first started music, I didn't have any direction. I just knew you're, that I was... You were young. I was, yeah, I've been singing for my entire life. Yeah. And then I just... I released a song. It got picked up by Seattle Press. I'm originally from Seattle. And I got booked for festivals. And everything happened really quickly. So I didn't have a game plan. I just knew I wanted to put some... I just wanted to put music mm. out and it caught on. And so at a certain point, um, it was pretty shortly after I... I played a show with the Seattle Orchestra, and it was a live album listening party. And these sound like good problems to have, you know, like on the face. <laughs> no, of they it. really are. They're yeah. they're great. Like I, all of my experiences have, for the most part, especially in music, mm-hmm. been very pleasant, and um, I'm so grateful. But I realized that things were getting bigger than I ever imagined because, like I said, I just sort of put a song yeah. out, and then the next it happened thing, too fast. It, no, it didn't happen too fast. I just wanted to to sort of pump the brakes yeah. so that I could remember what my mission is. I Obviously, I'm a singer, but I, I know that there's a bigger purpose for me creating music. And because things sort of happen quickly, it all was kind of a whirlwind. I just wanted to take a step back and look at my journey, you know, where I was at, at that moment, where what my journey was and how I wanted to continue and the type of artist that I want to be and the message that I want to spread. Making music isn't purpose enough? Just put putting stuff out in the world. I think that that's a that's great, but I feel for my journey, it's deeper than that. I've gone through some things that have been hard, and I feel that some of my stories may help other people. So I just want to make mm. sure that, at least, like I said, you know, obviously that's enough. Putting out the music is enough, but I I just personally feel like there's more to this than just putting out music. Before that, do you feel that your stuff wasn't personal in the way that you would like it to be? It definitely was not. Mm. I was making very ethereal, moody, heady music that just kind of was like oohs and ahs, very experimental, Mm -hmm. cryptic, lyrically. I want to be very direct now, and and that's also part of the reason why I took the hiatus, because I, like I said, I wanted to get to know myself again, and I wanted to figure out the things that were important enough to me to share with other people. And sometimes when life is happening, it, it all happens so fast and you don't really have a, mm-hmm. you don't have a moment to process what you've been through or what you've seen your family and friends go through. And so I was just at a point in my life in that moment where I just was like, let me process. 
and then I'll get back to saying what I need to say. Do you feel like you're purposely masking it before or it just wasn't something that interested you? It wasn't that I was masking it. I started writing music when I was really young, but it mm-hmm. was in the form of poetry. So I wasn't inten- I wasn't making my lyrics weren't intentionally cryptic. But because I was just using like a poetic format, it came out that way. Did you understand, implicitly understand the meaning of them? Or were you just kind of putting words on paper that sounded good together? It depends on certain things. Yes. Certain things. No. Um, One thing that did that used to happen to me a lot, especially with my um, early bodies of work, I would write something and I would think that it meant one thing. And then Mm. the more I sang it, I was like, oh, wow, this actually has a completely different meaning to me. What's an example of something that took on different meaning? A song, one of the songs that I wrote called Molting, I think is like one of this, one of my proper, like my yeah. first proper release. Uh, the lyrics are 10,000 crashes over and over, same mistakes, I'm a glutton for the pain. And I just was on the beach one day and I noticed these, uh, this wave hitting the rock huh. in the same exact pattern. And it was just, there was no movement other than that. It was just very predictable yeah. and, and, I, and I just wrote that lyric out for some reason, and it didn't really mean anything to me at that moment. But later down the road, when I was singing the song, I realized that I, I had certain habits in my relationships, my relationship patterns that were kind of like that wave that yeah. were just like doing the same thing over and over again. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a good example of me just writing something out because I saw the waves crashing and I just was like, Oh wow, that sounds nice. And then down the road when I was singing, I was like, Oh, that actually means a lot more to me than I thought when I initially wrote it. Yeah. What's, what's the cliche? Like that's the, um, the definition of insanity. It is, is doing the same, same thing, thing over and over and, over and, and expecting, results. exactly. And expecting yeah. a different result. And it really, when I came to that realization, th- things started changing for me. My patterns. When you started, came to that realization about that specific about song, that there? specific really? song. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you were you're like, writing little cries for help on paper. Yeah, I had no that. idea. I just yeah. was like, oh, yeah, I'm so poetic and edgy. Yeah. And, and I'm from Seattle. You know, I wear Doc <laughs> Martens and black all sure. the time. And so, um, yeah, I it, it just it started to take on different meanings. And actually with that project, a lot of it was that um, some of the poems that I had written were from childhood. And mm. I came across them again. I'm like, oh, I actually really still – um, connect with this and I'd find ways to work that into the lyrics and yeah and and then I realized like oh I'm writing about my family I'm writing about my friends I'm writing about my experience and, and whatever you know all all variables of life so well, you were actually like sure that this is what you wanted to be when you were five is that right oh I knew it I, I knew right away my dad showed me a um a recording of Sade performing. Yeah. And I said, yeah, that's that. That's sure. what I want to do. Well, we all, we, we would all like to be Sade. <laughs> we would all like Renee. to be Sade. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us are less likely to be Sade right. than others. But we would. I felt a connection to that. I didn't even understand it, obviously, at that age, but I just had such a visceral reaction mm. to that. And I just felt... I felt like that was my purpose. I just knew yeah. it. I knew it, you know? There's kind of a positive because, like, you know, most of us spend a lot of our lives grappling around trying to figure out what we wanted to do with them. But the flip side of it is that you kind of were single-mindedly focused on the same thing since you were five, mm-hmm. right? So it's hard to step outside of that a minute and kind of take stock in what you're doing. That was hard. 
It was hard. Um, there were moments where I felt like I was going insane yeah. because I wasn't performing. And that is such a strong form of communication for me. So you went cold turkey? I went cold turkey. <laughs> I did because I, I, I knew that I needed to learn a lot more about the industry before I proceeded. Especially coming from Seattle, moving to Los Angeles, it's just a completely different ballgame. And I needed to sort of humble myself to the industry in a way because, you know, in Seattle, I thought I knew everything. It's kind of a big fish, small pond sort of thing that ends up happening there. And I moved to Los Angeles and immediately I realized I have so much to learn before I make my next move. And it's okay for me to take a step away to figure out what. I need to learn. Apparently, this is an uh, idiom that has like crossed over the ocean. But I was explaining to a, a Scottish artist uh, the phrase "seeing how the sausage is made." Mm-hmm. I mean, I can understand. Where yeah, <laughs> I get it. Uh, uh, you're not familiar with that specific I'm not phrase. Familiar okay. with it either, All right, but... it is a thing that people say. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I promise you. <laughs> the idea being probably not going to want to eat pork if you've seen how the sausage is made, right? Yeah. The music industry yeah. in 2019, 2020, mm-hmm. it's pretty ugly. I mean, you said the word humbling. Humbling is one thing, but like, you know, I could almost see you having an existential crisis around that. Sure. But I believe in my ability and again, my purpose so much that whatever ugliness is happening in the, in Mm. the industry, of course, I've come in contact with it. Like I've, I've, I've seen it firsthand, but it never, it never, shakes me and breaks me to the point where I don't want to do it, Mm. you know? And it's just like, I just have to be patient enough to know that the right team is going to come to me. The people that have good intentions are going to come to me. And of course it's taken a bit longer to put those pieces together, but I'm feeling really confident that I'm, I'm getting to that point now. And people that are in my life, it's all happened very organically and they have the best intentions. And I really took my time Mm. to court certain relationships before I, you know, went took it to the limit or whatever you want to say but i yeah i just sort of i just believe in my i believe in my purpose so much that of course it's going to be hard to navigate through the industry especially when you're trying to do it as a light so i'll get there when i get there and i'm and i'm not i'm not um concerned about what ugliness anyone else is doing because my intentions are good and people like-minded will find me. So you feel like you were maybe on the wrong trajectory before when it comes to surrounding yourself with the right people? Not necessarily that. I just didn't know what I was doing at all. And sometimes that works, right? Sometimes artists don't know what they're doing and it just kind of takes off. And But your, your bullshit detector is not finely tuned that first time around. It was. It was? Okay. It was. Yeah. But I was a lot more... Um, I guess I, I guess you could say I was more patient, and I just mm. kind of thought, oh well, this is the industry, so I have to. As in, deal you would it. suffer fools. Yeah, a little bit I more. would just kind of yeah, just yeah. like go with certain things because I just was like, I guess I need to pay my dues. I guess sure. I need to just kind of go along with these things. Which, and, you, which you do, obviously. Which you definitely yeah. do, but you have to be a bit more strategic about it. And mm. I just thought, like, okay, obviously I'm not trusting this person, but I'm going to go with their connections because. It seems like a good move for me to do it. So, obvi- like, I'm going to suffer a little bit in this way, yeah. but I'm going to gain something. And now I just operate in a different way. Obviously, there's a bit of a give and take with whoever you work with, and 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 I'm still gonna. I'm sure that I'm still gonna have to work with people that I'm. I disagree with their mm-hmm. methods and whatnot. But I just, I my intentions are stronger, and like I said, my my purpose is is more clear, and I just don't. I don't put up with the bullshit yeah. anymore. <laughs> Hopefully you can like surround yourself with people who know 
better than you about those specific things. Right. But you have to find the right people exactly. in order to, you know, be able to trust them. And that's the courting yeah. process of I think I was quicker to get into working relationships with people when I first started and now I'm just kinda like, let's hang out. Yeah. Like let's actually go to the park and do something that's not music related. I need to see how we actually get along outside of music, especially if we're talking about management and those sort of things. It's like you have, it's a relationship. So you really have to get along at least with your inner Mm -hmm. circle. Now, everybody else outside of that, that's kind of like things will happen. And like you said, like your managers will deal with all of that. But like the people that are closest to me, I'm a lot slower to get into relationship, working relationships with them. And so I think that that's been huge in me protecting myself as an artist, not just going with whoever's dangling a carrot in mm-hmm. front of me and just being like, okay, well, if, if it's worth it to you, if you, if it's worth you investing your time in me as an artist, then, then you'll be patient and we'll build an actual foundation and, and then good things will come. What was that process of seeing how the industry worked? What did that look like? You know, did, actually, did you work in the industry on the other I side? I did. I did oh, okay. some songwriting and yeah. I, um, and some producing and things like that. I I actually had a really pleasant experience because, like I said, I'm just operating in a way that's very organic. Mm. So the producers and the musicians that I've met in Los Angeles have all been very helpful. And I've got a lot of mentors there and people that are like, look, you don't have to make a move right now. Like, your voice is only going to get better. Your songwriting is only going to get better. Like, let's work on your on what you have to say. And and so it's been great because I've I've gained a lot of really close friends genuine relationships and people that really want to see me win and it's just because i'm like i just want to be a fly on the wall like how can i help you that's a nice experience because that sounds like the like antithesis of the advice that most people get which is you got to do this when you're young you know i mean obviously like the way culture is set up right now we very much idealize young people like pop stars Mm -hmm. are are, tend to be on the young side of things so it's nice to hear that there are people in the industry kind of giving the opposite side of that yeah actually i listened to a podcast with um it was shirley manson from garbage Mm -hmm. and she was saying she said something that i really strongly agree with young people shouldn't be famous like it's too (laughs) there's too much access and she just sort of went you know she she said it in her own words but basically she was saying you are too impressionable a lot of time people take advantage of you and um, you really just don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why I feel okay. It's like I'm not old by any means, but I know who I am. Yeah. And if I would have moved to Los Angeles at the age of 18, who knows? You know, I'm really glad. And I actually did think about that when I was younger. I was like, oh, I'm just going to graduate and go to Los Angeles and and. Fortunately, I really do feel like I, it was a blessing that I didn't do that because yeah. I was very impressionable at 18 and who knows who would have taken advantage of me. And that's just not that's not the story that I live now. You know, I'm in control of what I'm doing. So you did move to L.A. at one point? I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I live in Los Angeles. Now. OK. Yes. And, um, and that was to be closer to the industry? I was flying back and forth between Seattle and Los Angeles a lot. And I did not want to move to L.A., but it just kept Understandable. (laughs) As a Northern Californian, understandable. (laughs) I do. I like it. I I, I found a really great uh, group of people to to uplift. Mm -hmm. You know, we uplift each other and all that. But I was flying back and forth between Seattle and Los Angeles so much that it made sense for me to just 
be paying rent in LA. Yeah. Finally, because my parents live in Seattle, so I'm like, if I sure. need to go back home, get I'll your just, laundry done. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'll just stay there, have mom cook me some food sure. and whatnot. But it was like pulling teeth. Why, why is it necessary to move to LA? I'm like, especially like now when you can do everything to some degree remotely. I'm a I'm the type of person that really likes to be in person with mm-hmm. people and just sort of have that eye contact. I feel like we live behind our screens so much. Sure. I, I've i always had the best luck in creation when I'm in the room with the pe- person I'm creating with because we can read each other's body language and we can just be a lot more open. It's hard to it's hard to read body language through text and email. So in so, terms of like collaborating, songwriting, It was making all happening music. in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I eventually just, like I said, moved there because I was spending so much money flying back and forth that it, yeah, it just made sense for me to move. Um, and it was, it, I, I, I didn't necessarily want to but i i was being called there so i went yeah when you were taking this break i mean was it always clear to you that you were going to come back to music absolutely there was never a point when you thought and maybe this is not the right thing for me no way this has been a strong passion of mine since i was five i've done so many things i was a very athletic child you know i played tennis i played volleyball i did all of these things and i did them all well but the only thing that kept my sanity and that was really like my therapy was music Mm -hmm. and I just I just knew that this was this was my this was what I was gonna do did you give yourself a a timeline for coming back not no no I just no not really I and I'm probably um a rare case when it comes to that I actually had to take a step back because I was such a planner like Mm. everything had to Mm -hmm. be perfect and like I was just kind of driving myself crazy like my shows were beautiful like the shows that I always produced were just crazy like can you do a show called beautiful I did do a show called beautiful (laughs) you can get that in a second okay we'll talk about that in a second but um yes I'm an over planner and I and I'm usually like you know just everything has to be on task everything has to be in order and and it and that's just not life so when I took a step away it allowed me to let go of that sort of controlling part mm. of my career. And it was like I was becoming frustrated because I was putting so much effort into all these small details and not getting the results that I wanted. And I, once I let go of that, that's when the opportunities started coming mm. in. So I was like, okay, well, maybe there's something to this just sort of – you know, polishing your instrument, my instrument being my voice, being ready, being in good mental health, like doing all the yoga, like doing all those things mm-hmm. that just kind of made me feel comfortable with the fact that I'm going to get where I need to go without having to push so hard. How did collaborating, you know, in terms of songwriting, like how did that help with your tendency to micromanage things? So much. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I remember one of my first songwriting sessions in with Anthony Kilhoffer. Sounds like it's probably a nightmare for him at the beginning before <laughs> no, you're like, okay. He's part of the reason why I moved yeah. to Los Angeles. So he is a mixing engineer. He mixed Kanye, Kid Cudi, Push, sure. and like all of that. And so I was working with them. He yeah. caught wind of me and reached out on Twitter. And I didn't believe that this, sure. I was like, who is this person yeah. that says? So I look him up and I'm like, oh, this is legit. Yeah. So. We he was in Seattle working on um, working with another Seattle band and asked me to have coffee. We met up and I really enjoyed our our conversation. I'm gonna start tweeting at women that I'm one of Kanye's producers and just <laughs> don't do that these days. If he would have, never mind. But, I'm not even gonna go down that road right now. Um, so long story short, I was flying back and forth working with 
that team. Um, and I ended up in a session where I was writing a, a hook for Push's album. Mm. And Anthony straight up looks at me and he, I sang it for him and he's like, it's not good and it's not cool. And just was like, oh. <laughs> and I actually was so appreciative of yeah. that because I love transparency. Yeah. I, a lot of times with producers that I've worked with, they just hear my voice and they're like, oh my God, yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. And I'm sure. like, no, I want like real, I want feedback. I want to know how we can make this better. How do we take it to the next step, you know, the next limit? And I really appreciated that honesty. He was like, it's just not cool. Like did, you, I, did you agree like with him in hindsight? And actually, I was like, this isn't cool. Yeah. And I need to be a better songwriter. Yeah. And I think that was the moment where I realized I had so much to learn just even about my own craft and that there were people right ar that were around me that I could go to and get advice from and really confide in when it comes to my creativity. So that was one of the most important things that has happened to me as, as an artist. Someone saying, that's... Would Push ever say that? Like, did you hear what you wrote? Yeah. And, like, the kind of artist you're writing for right now? And that just was, like... Phew. How does writing for somebody else change the math? I was actually having a conversation about this the other day. Sometimes you write for yourself and sometimes you write for other people. Yeah. Um, In this case, you were very specifically writing it was, for I was him. very specifically writing for him. But because I'm, like, at the time was, like, this Bjork, lofty, little dragon, you know, like, yeah. that sort of thing... I was writing like that for a Pusha T album. Sure, sure. <laughs> and Anthony was like, "This is." Do not you remember what the hook was? Like, I, it was just like um, so out of character for him. I don't remember. Yeah. It was for a song called Santeria, which actually ended up making it onto the okay. album. Yeah. What I wrote ended up being translated into Spanish, and someone else sang it. That was after like three revisions. Yeah. The first thing I wrote was just kind of like. It, it, it seems like something that would be more on, like, a Macklemore okay. book. Okay. <laughs> Being okay. from Seattle. Yeah, I mean, yeah. those are Seattle pretty different. Sort yeah. of like, you know, I just kind of wrote something that yeah. was very safe. Yeah. And Anthony is like, the song is called Santeria, so it's dark. Yeah. And I'm like, right. So what I wrote is not dark. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was one of the best things that happened to me because I started realizing, like, you sort of have to switch. You have to mm -hmm. you write for yourself and you write for other artists. And oft, and sometimes I'll even just write things out. Um, melodies will come to me and I'll write it. And and I'm like, I definitely know this is like top line. I, and I wouldn't necessarily use it for myself. So I, you know, write for, write for yourself, write for other people too. Would you write something for yourself that you really liked but ultimately give it to someone else because it just doesn't fit your approach? Absolutely. Yes. And – and I used to be, I used to hoard my songs. Like even yeah. if I didn't want to use it for myself personally, I sure. just didn't want anyone else to use yeah. it. And moving to Los Angeles actually sort of broke me of that because I started seeing other artists in a different way. Like I went to a Rita Ora show and I'm not a huge fan. She's so sweet. Like I'm a fan of her as a person, <laughs> but I don't like listen to her music or sure. anything like that. But I went to one of her shows and it was at I think it was at the Fonda. And I realized how punk rock she actually is. And I was really just sort of like intrigued by that. I thought she was this like polished pop artist. But then when I saw her live, I just realized that she had so much more depth than what I realized. And I was, I talked to someone who was on her team and I was like, I want to write a song for Rita. And I think that was the first time that I thought about writing something for someone mm -hmm. else because, um, I just was really inspired by her 
onstage presence and just how sweet she was. So I start, you know, that was the moment in which I was like, I think I could actually write for other artists or give some of the songs that I just kind of have sitting away. I mean, that's an example of pretty organic inspiration. But like, if you're just like, you know, sitting in the studio or wherever, trying to write a hook for Pusha T, like yeah, right. I that... did, I'd never even met him. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. How how does one get themselves in that headspace? They push <laughs> oh, a T headspace. Listening to all of this, like <laughs> I was like going down this push a T rabbit hole sure. and just sort of like you did your you homework. Know, I was like getting in the space, yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah, I did my homework. And as someone who prides himself in being able to write in different genres, mm-hmm. I I accepted it as a challenge. I just was like, okay, this is fun for me. Like, this is so out of the box. How do how do I get myself to that place? So yeah, I just sort of went down a rabbit hole of of music that was similar and and things that work for that style of rap on hooks and and like, is it sparse? Is it wordy? Mm. Is it more melodic? You know, and just sort of like I like you said, did my homework. I got myself in that headspace. When was it clear that it was time for you to come back? When I couldn't stand not being on stage anymore. <laughs> my family member... It wasn't like I've learned like I've learned everything I need to it learn. It was and... like, it was just time. Okay, you were Something... at the top of a mountain meditating. No, or, no. it just was time. I, yeah. I, I feel like I was maybe doing chores Okay. Something. You were and doing I the just, most mundane thing yeah, possible. Sure. Exactly. And I just sort of was like, all right, enough is enough. <laughs> I just started like reaching out to people and being like, let's get into you. Like, let's, mm-hmm. I want to start working on my own project. At that time, I was working with Roger Greenwald, which I've been working with him on um, the Renee Holiday project. And I just, I was ready. Something inside of me was like, okay, you've been silent enough. Like, let's get back to business. And so. That's where I'm at. What was the kind of marked difference in you as an artist before and after? I'm just not naive yeah. uh, the way that I was when I first started. W- was it a change musically? Yeah, absolutely. So the songs that I'm writing now are um, conceptually just a lot more developed. Hmm. Like I said, when, my earlier body of work was just sort of cryptically poetic and very lofty and lush sound design and all of that. And I love it. I love everything that I did um, before. But this is just straight up, like, this is what happened in my life. Like, there's no guessing. It is a bit cheeky, too. Hmm. So there's a bit of a comedic uh, Hmm. tongue-in-cheek thing that happens if you really pay close attention to the lyrics. An interesting thing that has started to happen with this songwriting is I've just been channeling different queens, like, throughout history okay no i've written yeah. a song about cleopatra and marie antoinette yeah. and oh so, so each, actual queens like, okay actual not like I, I thought you were i thought it was like aretha or something no, no. but <laughs> i mean i would love yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she'll she'll be on the list i'm sure but it's it's funny because i guess the way that i compare it is quentin tarantino and inglorious bastards okay. when they shoot hitler in the yeah, movie yeah. theater and it's like obviously that's not Wish what happens it's, like, it's it's sort of like I think it's called third third cinema when mm. when you take a historical um, event and sort of change it that way. So have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yet? I have not. Okay, I don't want to give any okay. spoilers, but there might be a little bit of that happening. There. Okay, I'm sure because yeah. I feel like that's kind of Quentin. That's style, kind of right? his thing, yeah. Um, so, for instance, on Marie Antoinette, it's called Let Them Eat Cake, mm-hmm. and the idea is that Marie Antoinette actually didn't just spend everyone's money and be the worst queen ever. It was like, what if she was the type of queen that took her resources and fed back into her people and let them eat cake and party with her rather than just spending everyone's money Hmm. in the way that the 1% could distribute their wealth. So it's sort of like 
I'm using Marie Antoinette yeah. to say what I would like to see happen sure. with the 1%. Except maybe Jeff Bezos. <laughs> As someone who's from Seattle. I, yes. I'm familiar <laughs> with his work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that brings up an interesting point, which is you had said that the hiatus was for personal reasons. I had read something. I don't know if it was an interview or what, but it, it had either said or strongly implied that it was more for kind of external political reasons, like what was happening more broadly in the world. Also that, yeah. And that's another – that's kind of going back to what I said about my purpose, being bigger than just putting music out. I mean, as a black woman in America, that's a political statement every single day mm. that I wake up and do something. Sure. Um, I – realized that the climate was becoming very uncomfortable for me. And I had the yeah. incident happen at the park where I had a knife pulled on me and racial slurs were yelled at me in front of children. And it just sort of... This was in LA? This was in Los Angeles. Jesus. In Hancock Park, where I live. Yeah. <laughs> so this was not like broad daylight, yeah. you know. And, and I witnessed everyone around me noticing the, the interaction and no one stepped in to defend me against this man who was like running toward me with his fist balled and the knife pulled out and all of these things. And when he when he started to notice that other people were seeing what he was doing, he left. And it was only until it wasn't until he left that people actually came up to me hmm. and were like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Well, why didn't you, like you you saw the whole thing? Like, why didn't yeah. you step in there?" Do you think it's fear? What do you think was holding people back? I don't really know. Yeah. I honestly don't know. I, I, I've thought about it a lot and I'm like, what if I saw a woman about to be attacked at a park, even I would step in, I would say something, I would stand next to her, I would do anything to make sure that that yeah. didn't escalate. And there were people around that didn't work up the nerve to say anything until he left. And so at that moment, I just knew that I'm not the only person that is experiencing things like that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to just, first of all, process that because it was really traumatizing. I realized that I just need to continue to live and be a presence and that I'm probably going to find myself in situations that are scary like that in the future, especially with our political climate. I've never experienced racism the way that I have in the past four years. You are coming from Seattle and then living in Los Angeles. I mean, these are two pretty you know, liberal bubbles, right? And even there, and even in those places, it's just been a completely different climate. Hmm. And so I, as, as a person that puts herself out there all the time, that is also part of the reason why I wanted to take a hiatus because I was like, well, that was a really frightening thing that yeah. happened. And also I need to be able to grow from this experience and tell people, somehow relate to people that have gone through similar things that you don't need to live in fear you can be as bold and as you as you want to be anywhere you go. And I that was a part of what I mean, like trying to figure out what my purpose is. Like who 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 needs to hear a message? Like what do I need to actually say on top of just singing? So that was the start of me thinking yeah. deeper about that, I think. Part of this decision of, you know, needing to get out there and needing to sort of be more vocal or engaged with people more was, was pulling back. Yeah. It's a little ironic, right? It is kind of ironic, but I think um, there's so much noise. People are always saying things. You need to figure and, out and, what you needed to say. Well, I actually just wanted to listen. That was that was really a big part of it. I just wanted to listen. I wanted to hear what people's experiences were. Like, what is everyone going through? And I think that sometimes we have conversation just to hear ourselves respond. And I, I just wanted to listen. I genuinely just wanted to hear collectively how we were all feeling. And because we're in the age of social media, it's easy to actually sort of kind of yeah it's sort of easy to get an understanding of kind of where the 
pop population is at? Like, where how are people feeling? So that I could actually contribute thoughtfully to conversation and not just speak because I feel like I have to be, be online. I have to say something. I have to be relevant right now. And it's just like, no, I just want to listen. I just want to listen so that I can do my job better and so that I can live a better life. And uh, that's, yeah, that's part of it. That was part of why. Do you feel that your work is political in a way that it wasn't previously? Yeah, especially when, um, especially like the Let Them Eat Cake song is a great example of that because it's really about the 1%. Right. And it's just about people that have more being able to give more. And yeah. Cleopatra is also about that. I wrote a song called Cleopatra and it's also the same thing. It's the, the theme of that is plant your riches and teach other people how to plant their rich, riches if you have them. You know, um, how do we give back to our community? How do we teach people to invest properly? How do we teach people to start creating generational wealth and those sort of things so that we can all eat cake? Yeah, so it has been political, but it's in a very stylized, fly-ass way. Why use that context? Why use historical context? You know, why not be just, come on, say, fuck Donald Trump or something on record? I mean, I, I, we could do that. Sure. But um, – I, I, I'm pretty sure everyone knows how I feel about that. Yeah, so, yeah. But, I, but also, we have to learn our history so we don't repeat it. And I just thought that it would be a good way to connect with people because these are stories that we all know for the most part and, and, and understand. You know, everyone knows about Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows about Marie Antoinette. Everyone knows, you know, kind of how, how, how those stories unfolded. And it's interesting to just kind of see the parallels, I guess, in historical events. And so that's kind of been my focus lately. Was it a sense of idealizing these historical figures, but then also finding these major flaws in them? You you know, I don't really, I don't think that I had a strong plan when it came to that. Mm. I just kind of like was watching the History Channel. Oh my God, that shit's cool. And then yeah. Kind of like what you were saying. You like, literally do you were write... watching the History Channel. That was literally yeah. like I, I listened to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, I yeah. listened like History Channel. Like all of those things are really interesting to me. And so it's kind of like the thing that you were asking me. Do you ever uh, write things and then they sure. have different meanings later? Yeah. So Let Them Eat Cake was definitely that because I just kind of like heard this beat that was mm. so Marie Antoinette. I can't even explain to you what I mean by that, but it was just so gaudy. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is so great. And Roger actually wrote a hook and – it was let them eat cake before you break my heart. And I was like, I love that. So I created this whole story around it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is obviously about Marie Antoinette. And, like, let's talk about – and so I just wrote out the lyric. And then later – and I sang it and I recorded it and I listened to it back, like, a few times. And I was like, oh, this is about the 1%. Yeah. Oh, this is about – you know, so it's, it's – It took you actually going back and listening yeah. to it. Yeah. Do most things sort of start as, like, a, as a beat or a hook in your brain and then this – song forms from there? It depends. I write a lot. I write dry a lot. And what I mean by that is with no music, no production. So poetry again. We're back to poetry, but more direct. Sure. I just say what's on my mind now, not like, oh, the leaves turn. And so did the page. Is it like, is it like (laughs) journaling? It's kind of like journaling, but like, but now I'm just, I'm I'm just, like I said, more direct. But yeah, a a lot of times I just write dry. Melodies will come to me Mm. and I'm like, oh my God, I love that. Actually, one of the songs that I performed last night, it's called Baby of Mine. I wrote it two weeks ago and it just was like, Hey, like one of the, one of the lines where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it before the world implodes. And I was like, huh, we'll see. We'll just keep going. You know, because it just dark times over the last few weeks, you know, and so just being real about 
like you said, the existential crisis yeah. and just being direct about something that I'm sure we've all we've all experienced. And yeah, so I write dry and then sometimes I'll take it to different producers and they'll produce music around whatever melody I've written. And sometimes I'll write on acoustic. Sometimes I'll hear a beat and I'm like, I love this. I know exactly what I want to write. Yeah. And I'll have, sometimes I have lyrics that are still sort of in the form of poetry, but now I'm better about taking that poem and actually putting it in song format if the right beat calls for it. It's like, I'll hear a beat and I'm like, oh, this reminds me of a poem that I wrote. Go back to that poem and then actually like scrap like 90% of it, find a hook in it and then write a a real song around it. That end of the road line is, I mean, this is a super dark thought. That's sort of best case scenario, right? Let's figure our shit out before (laughs) the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And actually it's about being honest with your, so I wrote this about just like, you know, you have your best friend and you tell them everything. And um, the lyrics are, I've got a secret. I only want you to know. Promise me you'll keep it. Don't tell so-and-so. I love me dearly, but my feet are cold. Don't know if I'll make it before the world implodes. Baby of mine, we've all walked a long road. Baby of mine, 100 miles more to go or more. Who knows? And it's just so simple. It's just like, I feel like we've all felt that way. You know, just like, man, I'm working so hard, but things are looking grim around me. But I got to stay focused and just kind of still be that light and continue on my path and... Sometimes we don't want to say that out loud, but I think it's important to. There you go. Wonderful conversation with Renee Holiday. You can check out her work over at ReneeHoliday.com. Thanks so much to her. Thanks to Shorefire for helping set up that conversation. Thanks to you, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Just put up a bunch of new episodes over on YouTube. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's riylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riylcast tumblr.com and that's about all we got for now so stick around because we're going to be back in a few days with another episode of R.I.Y.L. 